0: Please pray with me. Loving God, open our hearts so that we might see your presence all around us and within us, planted more deeply than all that is wrong in the world. And with that awareness, give us life that we might become your word, a word of blessing for the world you love. Amen. Amen. Here they are, Joseph's brothers. They didn't like Joseph very much, so they beat him up, threw him in a pit, and sold him into slavery. And now here they are. There's a famine back in Egypt. They are back in Canaan. They are starving. Their families are starving. They come to Egypt for help. They're here before this Egyptian official, not knowing who he is, this Egyptian official, the one person who can help them out. And the Egyptian official leans in and says, come closer. I'm your brother Joseph, who you sold into slavery. They are standing at a threshold. All the life they've lived up till now everything that they've done is swept into this one moment and there they are face to face and God only knows what's going to happen next but let's rewind a little bit let's remember how we got here Joseph is one of 12 brothers the sons of Jacob whose families will become the 12 tribes of Israel they're the children of four women Jacob's two wives and two maidservants, Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, and Bilhah. Joseph is the favorite son of the favorite wife, and he knows it. Jacob lavishes gifts on Joseph, including this fine coat, and Joseph struts and preens. Joseph has dreams that he shares with his brothers, dreams in which he inevitably rises up and in which they all bow down to him. Joseph's brothers do not like him much. And we see that at its very worst in the first scripture this morning. Joseph goes into the fields looking for his brothers, and they see their chance. Some want to outright kill him. Slightly calmer minds prevail, and instead they just beat him up and throw him in a pit. And when a band of Ishmaelite traders pass by, they sell Joseph into slavery. They then smear sheep's blood on his coat and go home and tell their father that Joseph has died a tragic death and their father is crushed. Meanwhile, the Ishmaelites sell Joseph to an Egyptian overlord. That doesn't go well and Joseph ends up in prison, stripped of all he has, except that his dreams continue. It turns out he has a gift for interpreting dreams. And it turns out that Pharaoh has been having dreams. Word of this dreamer in prison reaches Pharaoh and Joseph is hauled out of prison, brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph interprets. Mighty Pharaoh, what your dreams mean is that there will be seven years of good crops followed by seven years of famine. You need to prepare now for the famine that will surely come. Pharaoh is convinced, and puts Joseph in charge of everything. Sure enough, there are seven years of good crops. Joseph leads Egypt in a strict discipline of stockpiling enough to withstand a famine, and sure enough then, there are seven years of famine. And Joseph, who was beaten by his brothers and sold into slavery and left to rot in prison, Joseph is put in charge of Egypt. He is second only to Pharaoh, administering the well-being of the entire nation. But meanwhile, meanwhile, back in Canaan, things are not going as well for Joseph's brothers and their families. So they head to Egypt to beg for help. And they're let into the presence of the one official who has the power to help. But after all these years, they don't recognize who this Egyptian really is. And... Just before this morning's scripture, in the part that I left out of the story, Joseph does toy with them a bit. He tests them to see if they are still as contemptible as before. He plants a silver cup in one of the bags of grain that he gives them, and one brother is then accused of theft, the one who is now their father's favorite. But when tested this time, another brother offers to give himself, his life, in place of his brother's. Maybe. They have changed. At the very least, they have passed this test, but in this morning's moment, they don't know that yet. All they know is that the most powerful man in Egypt is standing before them with the power and the right to claim their lives, and the Egyptian official leans in and says, Come closer, and then, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. They're standing at a threshold. I don't know what to call this particular threshold. This is, there's a little bit of all the thresholds that we've been talking about over these past few weeks. If you think back to last week, this is certainly a threshold of woe. Everything that has happened here has resulted from gross imbalances of power. The brothers had brute power to throw Joseph in a pit and sell him into slavery, and now the tables have turned, and Joseph has all the power, including the power, if he wants it, of revenge. He has power over their lives. Will Joseph let that go? Will Joseph relinquish that power? His brothers are now laid low before him. They are the ones who are now hungry. Think of how much Joseph is going to need to let go of for them to be filled. They stand at the threshold of trouble. Will they walk toward it? They're now face to face with each other. They can feel and hear each other's pain, years of pain. Will Joseph walk into this open wound? Will he walk toward the trouble that is his family? All the years of pain, mistrust, violence, contempt, slavery, prison, guilt, the raw woundedness of his life. And his brothers, if they survive this moment, their next threshold will involve going home to tell their father what they have done. How they lied when they said Joseph had an unfortunate action Ac- accident. Joseph is actually alive. And Here's what we did. Will they have the courage to walk toward that trouble? They're experiencing all of this in the threshold of their bodies that moment when Joseph lets out a loud wail and the halls of the house of Pharaoh quake, what Joseph's brothers did to him, they did to his body. They beat him. They threw his body in a pit where there was no water and no food, and they sold him as if his body was a piece of property. And the trauma of all that still lives on in his body, and it all comes out in this wild, unhinged lament. As the story goes on, somewhat miraculously, we watch them move into and through the threshold of forgiveness. None of them deserves what happens next. Joseph says it again, I'm your brother whom you sold into Egypt. He tells some truth. He tells their family truth. But then instead of vengeance, Joseph embraces them. They stand in all the life they have lived up until now, the truth of it laid bare, and they experience grace. The chance to step through into a world filled with love and possibility and hope we see them enter together into the threshold of belonging. All this brokenness, a family ripped apart by envy and striving and violence, somehow making their way after all these years to this moment of healing, a moment when they might begin. They might begin to put the pieces back together. Once again, they find belonging in each other, this family, part of the family of God. After all this, Joseph embraces his brothers and weeps with them. And then scripture says, after that, they all talked together. All of these thresholds converge in this one moment. In each threshold, an experience is coming to an end and a new experience is opening up. In each threshold, we stand in this moment of change, of uncertainty, of not knowing what happens next. And in each threshold, what we find is God still and always present with us. As we cross through each threshold, what we find is God waiting for us on the other side. Joseph puts words to this. Don't be distressed, my brothers. I can see it now. All that we've done to each other, look at where God has brought us. You may have intended to harm me, and you did, but what God did out of all of that was save life. Mine and yours, the lives of all the people in Egypt, and now the lives of all of our family in Canaan. God sent me here for this moment so that your lives might be saved. As Joseph will say a few chapters later when they're looking back on this moment, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. This is what we call God's providence. It's not that God specifically intends every specific thing that happens to us or every specific thing that we do. That would put the blame on God for so much of our own mess for so much that is really our own responsibility. What it means, though, is that in every bit of our lives, including the mess, including the uncertainty, including all the unknowing, God is always there at work, intending good. At every threshold, God is present, moving the whole world toward good, toward healing, toward forgiveness, toward belonging, toward love. Thresholds are about change the dynamic reality of life that every new moment is different than the last. To be human is to live in the midst of change, at the threshold of every new moment, and to find life there. In his book, To Bless the Space Between Us, Irish poet John O'Donohue describes the complexity of thresholds. Sometimes a threshold emerges over time as winter ripens into spring. Sometimes change arrives out of nowhere. We find ourselves crossing some threshold we had never anticipated. Had never anticipated, never anticipated. Odana writes, to acknowledge and cross a new threshold is always a challenge. It demands courage and also a sense of trust in whatever is emerging. We stand on completely strange ground and a new course of life has to be embraced. Everything that was once so steady, so reliable, must find a new way of unfolding. And in that unfolding, we are never alone in O'Donohue's Celtic sensibility we are surrounded by a god who inhabits and is present in all creation i love how he says it that we are here is a huge affirmation somehow life needed us and wanted us to be no threshold need be a threat but rather an invitation and a promise whatever comes The great sacrament of life will remain faithful to us, blessing us always with visible signs of invisible grace. In their moment, Joseph's brother's threshold likely felt like a precipice, like the ground beneath them had fallen away, and from a deep wellspring of grace, Joseph says, Come closer through the threshold of this moment, is my father well? Go bring him here so that we might be family again. When I was a teenager, an Irish preacher came to town, Reverend Dr. Morris Boyd. He came to dinner at the house and preached a series of evening services at our Methodist church. It's something that we call a revival. I I remember his kindness and his grace and this one thing he said. He was preaching from a psalm one night, and he offered his own translation of this one verse. My God, in God's loving kindness, will meet me at every corner. My God, in his loving kindness, will meet me at every corner. My God, in her loving kindness, will meet me at every corner. My God, in their loving kindness, will meet me at every corner. He was talking about something that Methodists call prevenient grace. The grace that goes before us, the grace that is waiting there for us in every moment of our lives ready for us before we even walk into the room. For more than 35 years, and I had to do the math this morning, for more than 35 years I have held on to that. I've said it softly under my breath, before walking into a hospital room. I've said it softly under my breath in those moments when starting a new job or leaving a community I love, in those moments in the morning twilight of yet another day when illness or death are nearer than I would prefer. My God, in her loving kindness, will meet me at every corner. It's not too much of a stretch to say that every moment of our lives is a threshold. Some more stark than others, as we enter into the new bit of life that God is opening up to us today. In every moment, at every threshold, what we find is God waiting for us. At every corner, with love, and forgiveness and healing and belonging and life